Good morning, everybody. Exciting Sunday, right? Happy Easter to all of you. Uh, let's bow in a word of prayer before we dive into the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are aware that there are great uncertainties in this world, uh, places where disease and disaster and despair win, maybe in even some of our lives and in our homes. There isn't much hope. And then Resurrection Day comes, and we are reminded that with you all things are possible, that evil does not win. It is overcome through your resurrection power, that even in this anxious season, that the church, capital C, still gathers around the world to join in singing Hosanna because he lives. And this church gives witness this morning to the amazing power that brought Jesus back from the dead. And we hang on to the truth that someday those who are bold enough and humble enough to put their faith in you will rise as well, that death is not the end of our story, that we rise again to follow the risen one. And so we ask you, in your kindness and mercy, would you pour out an Easter blessing on every family, on every individual, that in this service, something of heaven would touch earth. That there would be resurrection in the lives of people who have lost hope. That the despondent would be encouraged. That the anxious would be emboldened. That the confused would get answers. That those who are passionate for Jesus would be inspired to live even more in his name. And so we lift these things up to you on this beautiful Resurrection Sunday, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I want to start off this morning having you think about, uh, maybe you remember May 17th, 2018, that the Kilauea volcano erupted at 4.17 a.m. in Hawaii, spewing about ash about 11,000 feet in the air, triggering an earthquake and destroying over 700 homes and lives in the wake of its lava flow. Geologists say that Kilauea has been constantly, almost constantly erupting since 1983. That it explodes, then it's followed by a few years of calm, luring people into thinking they can relax and forget about it, and then erupting again. Why does that happen? You see, volcanoes form when tectonic plates kind of move towards each other, they shift over a hot spot, and then you can't predict exactly when the buildup of pressure is going to erupt and then rise up to the surface. And the reality is that, that as much as you and I try to believe that we can have our lives as a controlled environment, they're actually much more like volcanoes, aren't they? that there are hotbeds of threats just below the surface, and that at any moment, circumstances like tectonic plates can shift, exploding violently with devastating effect in our lives. If you lose your job, or your home, or your health, or a loved one. If you ruin your sobriety, or ruin your family, or marriage. In our world today, filled with the, over the last few years with a pandemic and all these politics and racism and now war and rumors of war, there's been many eruptions in our lives over the past two years 
that cause us grief, cause fear, perhaps even cause doubt when it comes to the Lord. Causes all these things to rise up to the surface. But this morning, we want to challenge you. What about hope? Even in the midst of these kind of eruptions. And so we want to look at that by turning in your Bible to John chapter 20. If you have one, you can turn there. And what we see here is that the lives of Jesus' followers, his disciples, suffer a major eruption. Jesus, their teacher and master, is crucified on a Friday. Then they are forced to have a mandatory shelter-in-place Sabbath on all-day Saturday. And then early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, she rushes out to the tomb before sunrise. And she is horrified to discover that the stone over the entry has been rolled away. And she doesn't know, well, what am I supposed to make of this? And this morning, we're going to discover that the resurrection has implications for all of the eruptions that you and I experience in our lives. And it's more than just, well, it'll get better someday after you die. That that's what eternal life is, just waiting for death. That if Jesus is alive, then there is real encouragement, not just someday, but today. And the big idea this morning is that the resurrected Christ reveals himself to us to give us real hope to struggling people today in whatever condition or situation that you find yourself, in your fear, in your grief, or in your doubts about even him, that you can encounter the power and the presence of the risen Lord to receive what you need today. Encouragement internally and even opportunities externally for you to take that next step of faith, perhaps in the very area that you're struggling. John chapter 20, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be just the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away and Then tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So let's stop right there for a moment. We see in verse 11, Mary comes and she is so distraught over the death and disappearance of Jesus, her friend, her master. And so she's standing outside this tomb, simply weeping tears of grief, And then finally, as she works up the courage, she looks into the tomb and she brushes up against the supernatural. 
verse 12 through 15, she finds two angels just sitting there on the spot where Jesus' body lay, highlighting the reality for us that he's not here. He's risen. And then she turns, and Jesus actually appears to her. Yet, whether because of the tears filling her eyes, or maybe she's too despondent to look up into the face of the person who's speaking to her, or even maybe God just simply divinely obscured Jesus' face from her recognition, she doesn't recognize him. She assumes this guy is just the gardener, because who else would be here so early in the morning? She can't yet conceive of a supernatural resurrection because she can only see through the natural lens of death and despair. And I want to ask you, have you ever been in that place? Perhaps standing at the graveside of a loved one, standing at the graveside of your marriage, of your dreams, of your future, that you're so overwhelmed with sorrow that you cannot see or recognize Jesus when he's right beside you. Jesus then intentionally repeats the angel's question to, to her. Why are you weeping? Not because he doesn't know he's God. But he asks her to pause for a moment to let Mary process and pour out her heart, her grief, because he cares for her heart her grief, as well as yours. And then he surgically cuts to the source of her pain, and which is actually the answer to her pain. Who are you seeking? You see, just give, just give me Jesus' body so I can be alone in my grief. But Jesus responds in verse 16 and calls her by name, Mary because he knows her, and he knows your name, and he knows your pain, just like hers. And this time, this time, her eyes open wide in recognition. She sees Jesus, really sees him, my teacher, my master. And she throws her arms around him because I've already lost you once. I am never letting go again. But then Jesus says something weird. You notice that in verse 17 and 18? He basically says, or don't get clingy. Instead, go tell my brothers uh, that I'm returning to my father and yours. And it's kind of like, Jesus, you just comforted this woman. That's a little abrupt, don't you think? What does he mean by that? He's not trying to be unkind to her. But what he is doing is getting to her heart. He's saying to her, you want to stay here with me. But now that you've received comfort, I need you to go there for them. Just as I, Jesus, have comforted you, I'm sending you to comfort the grieving family of Christ with good news too, because they're suffering and grieving as well. And so she runs off, goes, finds all the brothers, and what does she tell them? I have seen the Lord. You see, when the world and your life are falling apart, what do grieving people really need? To see the Lord. Because resurrection means that we are not alone, that we are not forgotten, that we are not forsaken, that God is not powerless, that he is still with us. To paraphrase 
Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39 apply to Mary's situation. This means that Jesus is saying, neither death nor life, neither these angels you've seen, nor the Roman rulers who crucified me, neither the pain of the present or the troubles to come, not, uh, neither the heights of suffering nor the depths of sorrow, nor anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The presence of the risen Savior comforts her. The empty cross and empty tomb fill the emptiness that was in her heart. And so like Mary, when you and I can't see, when we can't recognize Jesus, the resurrected Christ comes to reveal himself, to give us comfort in our grief so that we too can also turn and encourage others with his presence. December 6, 1984 was the worst day of Yvonne Pointer's life. This beautiful black mother had a daughter, 14-year-old Gloria Pointer, who was walking home from school when she was brutally raped. And then this beautiful young black girl, 14 years old, was murdered. A darkness settled over Yvonne's heart. I came through drugs and street life and now this? I couldn't fathom this happening to a Christian. And so I spent hours in church when no one was there crying out to God, she says. Grief isn't something that you just paper over and erase. Grief for a believer in Christ isn't just, praise the Lord, but it doesn't bother me that this terrible thing happened. But as she came before Jesus crying out to him, it's in that place, I met the living God. I met Jesus. Not, not as a theoretical religion, but as the Lord who is risen and present. And meeting with him day by day, that was the only way that I could get through the pain, was having his presence, his grief over my child with me, his love comforting me. Jesus came because he is risen, he could be present in her grief. And then Jesus opened her eyes even more. She realized in the beginning, it was all about the injustice done to my child. But soon I became aware of other families in similar situations, and I felt through Christ I could help them find solutions. We could help each other. You see, this woman who was comforted by the presence of Christ was then given strength to comfort others in the family of Christ. And so for everyone sitting here this morning, all of us are acquainted with grief. And when it comes, Jesus asks you, why are you weeping? Not because you're supposed to say, oh, there's no reason for me to weep because I have Jesus. But he asks, not because he doesn't know, because he's inviting you to pour out your heart and your pain to him, to give him all of it so that you don't have to carry it yourself. He cares about how you feel. He cares about your heart. Why are you weeping, he asks. And then he turns and says, who are you seeking? So that you and I will lift up our eyes like Mary, listen for his voice, and then recognize his presence with us. Because he is risen. He is not absent or unaware. He's with you. He cares and he comforts you. And as we are comforted by Jesus, then he sends us to encourage other people, to tell those who are also grieving, 
that I've seen the Lord in my grief, and that because he lives, that you can come to Jesus for compassion and strength and hope, that when Jesus returned to the Father, just like he did with Mary, that he didn't leave us orphans, that he prepares for us a new home, that he gives us a new family so that we can support each other through life's pain and experience the power of Christ through one another. But what if I'm not grieving this morning? What if I'm not grieving about my circumstances, but I'm actually living in fear of them? Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So what's happening here? Perhaps you're not grieving this morning, but living in fear. And so in verse 10, or 19 through 20, it is Sunday night now. You remember, Jesus crucified on Friday. They were sheltering in place Saturday. Early Sunday, Mary goes to the tomb, finds it empty, and then has this encounter with Jesus. Now it's late Sunday night, and the remaining disciples, they're gathering in secret, in fear. They're hiding behind a bolted door that despite Mary's message to them, remember Mary has gone to them, I've seen the Lord. He's alive. He is risen. But despite that message, they're terrified. You see, the same religious authorities that killed Jesus, they're fearful that they're coming for them next. So in the grip of their fear, Jesus suddenly appears to them. Because if death cannot hold him, then no locked door can stop him either. And so he comes to them, and the first words out of his mouth are a blessing. But it's a very common Hebrew greeting, shalom. It means peace to you. But what's cool about when he says it here is that it has special meaning. It doesn't mean peace in the way that you and I often think about it. It's not when the waters are calm like on a sunny beach in the Caribbean. That's not peace. That's just the absence of a storm. And it can be stolen just like that. No, the word shalom, the kind of peace Jesus is giving to them, is when you find a refuge in God as this immovable rock, a shelter in the midst of a storm. And so as Jesus reveals to them the scars in his hands, in his side, these aren't marks of defeat, they're marks of victory. Because the resurrection is the immovable rock that transforms our fear to peace, that transforms our sorrow to joy because Jesus is victorious over the grave. And in verses 21 through 23, he does it again. He likes to repeat himself. And it's not because he forgot what he said, but to reiterate something important to us. And so we need to catch it. He says, peace to you, my fearful followers. It should remind them Earlier in the book, in chapter 14, verse 27, that when he said to the disciples, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And so let not your hearts be troubled or afraid. Not the absence of a storm, the peace that comes from a rock sheltering you in the midst of the storm. 
So Jesus, in this moment, he not only calms their fears, but then he calls them to face it, to face the very persecutors that they once feared. As the Father has sent me, I'm going to send you out into the public where all the religious authorities who killed me will see you. I'm sending you as good messengers, messengers of good news. But he tells them, breathing into you with the peace and the power and the presence of the Spirit of God, that you are to tell people that Jesus has come, forgiveness has come, and that Jesus died for our sins and rose as our Savior so that we can live forever in the peace of God no matter what storm comes. And so the resurrected Christ comes to reveal himself, to give us peace in our fears so that we can be bold in our lives for him and for the gospel. Because Jesus doesn't only calm our fears, he calls us to face them. Many of you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a very famous German pastor who was pastoring in Germany during the rise of Hitler, right before World War II. And many of the churches kind of cowed before the political authorities, but not Pastor Bonhoeffer. He was the first voice to, for, to call out the church to resist actively, even by force if necessarily, resist the persecution of the Jewish people. He declared, we as the church, we can't just bandage victims under the wheel. We need to jam a spoke into the wheel itself. But as war was imminent, fear took hold of his heart. He was fearful that he would be conscripted into the German army and have to fight for the Nazis. Or he was fearful that if he resisted and declined, uh, refused to enlist in the army, that there would be consequences to his friends and his loved ones. And so on June of 1939, he got on a boat and escaped to America, to New York City. And yet, as he spent time alone with God every day, hopefully what pastors do, a conviction came over him. The fear started to be replaced with peace. The anxiety about the future with conviction. And he had come to realize, I allowed fear to be Lord instead of Jesus when I made this decision. I need to go back. I need to preach the gospel. I need to fight evil. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer returned to Germany to join the resistance movement on the last scheduled steamship that was crossing the Atlantic from America. He caught the last boat literally. And fight he did, working for the resistance, saving countless lives, giving up, doing some spy work. A pastor, can you imagine a pastor doing spy work to get intel for the resistance? But then at some point he was caught and arrested, his worst fears realized, 1943, and he was sent to a concentration camp. And while there, fear could have corrupted his heart and made him give in to the despair, but instead he continued to valiantly minister to the people there, even the Nazi soldiers at times. And he continued his writings, many of which are published today, and that his influence has inspired millions of followers of Jesus, even today. Now, the concentration camp that he went to was liberated, but unfortunately for him, he died two weeks before American troops came and took over the camp to free all the prisoners. 
And so the Nazi soldiers, they told him, you're gonna face execution by hanging, April 9th, 1945. But this follower of Jesus was no longer enslaved to fear. In fact, there was a witness there that day who said, in my 50 years as a doctor, I have never seen a man die so entirely at peace and submission to the will of God. Because you see, you can live a life of fear or you can live a life of faith, but you cannot live both. And if you want it to be worth living, then only faith can give you the strength to go where fear cannot. So I want to ask you, what are you afraid of today? And as you think about the things that make you anxious and, and, and afraid, oftentimes we're, we're, we're unaware, where is Jesus in the midst of these situations? And the answer in the gospel is that he is here. He is risen. He is victorious. That he drains our fear and pours in his peace so that you and I can join the Apostle Paul who declares in Philippians chapter 1, my eager expectation and hope is that I would not be ashamed but with full courage now as always, Christ would be honored in my body, in me, whether by life or death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That like the disciples, as Jesus calms our fear, how is he calling you to face it today? What is that next step that you know God has been pushing you towards? And that as you do it, you would show a world full of anxiety and apprehension the reality of the presence and the power and the peace that comes only in Christ. But you say to me this morning, Pastor Josh, what if my struggle is not with grief or fear, but doubt during these hard times, doubt in God, in his goodness, in his presence. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. A disciple. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. And then he also said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And now Jesus, he did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In verses 24 and 25 of the remaining disciples, only Thomas 
was absent when Jesus appeared. And I love the Bible. So honest. Doesn't paint a rosy picture when people are being very human. And even after the disciples are insisting, they're insisting to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Thomas isn't like, oh man, if only I hadn't stayed home to watch the game last night, right? Instead, he says, you know what? I need more than your word. You're my buddies, and we've done three years of life together, but I need more than your word. I need hard evidence. Unless I see the scars, unless I stick my fingers in the wounds, I'll what? I'll consider it. I'll pray about it. I'll sleep on it. I will never believe. Now, before Thomas gets kind of a bad rap, I want you to know this man He loves Jesus. He is loyal to Jesus. He was even willing to die for Jesus in John chapter 11, verse 16. But you can tell what's happening here. You can tell that he feels burned. Jesus, I thought you would be our leader and our savior. I thought you would be there for us. But you're not. You died. You're gone. And I'm not going to fall for that again. Have you ever felt that way with Jesus? that I've been burned too many times in my life, and so I'm skeptical and scared of placing my trust in his hands. I need more than the testimony of other people. I need to see you for myself, Lord. And in verse 26 and 27, there's this silence for a whole week. You can imagine Thomas just shaking his head at the end of the week. I knew it. then on the eighth day, the disciples, still hiding behind a locked door, again. And then Jesus appears again. And what does he say again? Peace to you. But you know what? He knows that that's not what Thomas needs. That's what the other disciples needed because they were scared. They needed peace. So, but Jesus knows that's not what Thomas needs. And so he goes on to say directly to Thomas, look at my hand. Touch the scars left by rusty nails. Feel this place in my side where the spear pierced through and shredded my heart. And believe. And Thomas does. You see, if we're struggling with disappointment and disbelief when we cannot see Jesus, it doesn't matter what other people tell us. Our hearts have been too hurt and too hardened by the circumstances of life, to believe that he cares for us or that he's there for us. But there's good news that for followers of Jesus who are wrestling with doubt, just like Thomas, he knows what you need. And he reveals himself to all who ask and seek and knock on the door that will be open to you, Jesus declares in Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. And so in verse 28, how does Thomas respond? His skepticism gives way to hope. He falls to his knees before Jesus, declaring in praise that you are my risen Lord. You are my mighty God. You see, the resurrected Christ, he reveals himself to us to give us assurance in our doubt so that we can trust him and worship Jesus. Because doubt says that Jesus is absent and unable and undependable. But if you ask, if you seek, if you knock, you will experience his presence and assurance. 
And then worship will say, coming out of you, that, Lord, you are risen and faithful and powerful. You are worthy of my love and my trust. And so I exalt the name of Jesus as the Son of God and Savior with my lips and with my entire life. That's worship. And that's what happens when we experience the assurance of the presence of God. And so the story ends. Verse 29, Jesus declares, well, Thomas, it uh, seems to me that you believe because you've seen me. But even more blessed are those to come. It's people like you and I who won't have the opportunity, who can't see Jesus because he's ascended to his father and yet will still believe in him. And then it's this really meta moment in verse 30 and 31. The author turns towards us and says to us, perhaps maybe you have doubts. Look at the evidence in the gospel. Test and see if it's true for yourself. Thomas and the disciples witness these supernatural signs that are recorded throughout this book, proving that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior King, the Son of God, equal to the Father, risen from the dead, so that you may believe in him and receive from him life. And not the kind we're talking about after you die, but from the moment you believe. And not just a duration of life, but a quality of life. There are many people alive today who are not really living. And the question is, will you worship him with your life? Whatever you face this season or the next, my humble prayer for you is that you would join Mary, join the disciples, join Thomas in finding that the answer to my grief my fears, my doubts, is that I have seen the Lord. That the resurrected Christ comes and he reveals himself to us to give us real hope, real help today in our struggles, not just someday after you die, today. That he transforms grieving people into encouragers. He transforms the fearful into the bold. He transforms doubters into worshipers. So what is your next step of faith, of hope this morning? Is there something that you need to bring to Jesus today? Because as you look for Jesus, you're going to discover that he's wonderful and amazing and forgiving and loving, that Jesus heals our hurts, that he fixes our fears, that he defeats our doubts, that he forgives our sins, that he lifts our burdens, that he gives us life, that he rose from the dead, and that he is coming again. Praise be to God, and that you can be with him forever. That's amazing. That is good news for today. Amen? And so this Easter... This Easter, I want you to remember when the tectonic plates of your circumstances begin to shift, when crisis erupts in your life, because he is risen, hope rises with him. May you turn to Jesus and find what you're looking for, what you really need in the resurrected Christ today. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I don't know what fears or grief or doubts people are wrestling with today. 
Would you give them courage to come before you? We are grateful for the resurrected Christ, that he is not just a footnote in history, but it is your power at work today. That if we're humble enough and have even a tiny seed of faith to believe that your presence and your power can help us, that you will. And we gather because we believe in the resurrection, that Jesus is alive, that he's near, that he's here, and we hang on to the promise that that same resurrection power that kicked out the door on a borrowed tomb, that raised Jesus from the dead, that upset all of history, that turns our world upside down and turns our lives right side up, has come to us today. And so we trust you and we praise you for the greatest display of love and hope and victory in all of history at the cross and through an empty tomb.